Good to see you all. Glad you're here. Um, so here at Ten Strike Church, as you know, we don't pass around the baskets, but we do have uh, the tithe boxes by the back walls, by the door. Um, and we usually say a prayer over our, our offerings and our giving. Um, but besides that, um, I also have something to share with us that we call a, a blessed life moment, which, um, like it sounds, is just a moment to reflect on how blessed we are, right? Um, it's obvious the value that, of things that we give, right? We put money in the boxes. That The value there is obvious. Um, but I also like to reflect on just the value of our lives, the values of what we have to give um, in the Lord. Um, so I have this to share. A few weeks ago, Linnea, my wife, and I uh, were making the acquaintance of another youth leader, um, one who's getting married to a friend of ours. Um, he's this really uh, wonderful, energetic man of God um, who has a passion for his work with inner city kids uh, down in Ohio. And as a leader in that fast-paced setting, he has a lot of these uh, snappy little sayings uh, in his repertoire, these one-sentence sermons that are easy to remember, get stuck in your head, and it's one of those that's been rolling around in my head for these past few months, um, and something that I'll share with us today. He said, many Christians come into the church and want to treat it like a cruise ship, but Jesus came to prepare a battleship. Uh, now, the message there speaks for itself, right? Amen, right? And the metaphor showing a choice between the pleasure-seeking or service, wastefulness or constructiveness, um, that if we indeed are blessed to overflow in the Spirit, we can be intentional about warring against darkness by being lights of the world, and we don't just keep that blessing to ourselves, right? Uh, or the light in the bushel, as the, the children's church song goes. Uh, however, I would like to take this saying in a slightly different direction as well. A cruise ship is a group of strangers who take what they need for themselves, then depart without forming any important connections. But a battleship, on the other hand, is a group of people who share a common purpose, who trust each other with their lives, where every man and woman has a duty, performs it excellently, and depends on his comrades to do the very same. Now when I say this, I think of Jesus' words in John 15, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. I think of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 12, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. In the same chapter, he says, if one member suffers, all the members suffer, suffer with it, or if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. I think of James 5 as well. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So what I'm getting at this morning is simple. We need one another, each and every one of us, and we need to love one another well. And I think this means that we can't see each other as acquaintances in an organization, of course. We're not just friends, not even just family. We are bound together by the Spirit of the living God, together the unified bride of Christ. Are we not? Amen. So we need to start seeing each other, the relationships this church provides, the relationships we have outside of this church as an immeasurable treasure, the biggest bonus to this blessed life that we live. Warriors and leaders and teachers and artisans of all kinds tied together so close that each of us is an integral part of one another. So Father, we pray that we would see that this week, that as we go out, we would be tied to one another well. We would see that as we bless others, we are also blessing ourselves, that we would treat each other as part of something bigger than just me to you, it's, it's all of us together in Christ. So in your name, amen. You can just put the building fund report up there, Abby. You can see we're getting right down the home stretch for, for giving for our projects, and they're about to begin. So... We're thankful for that. Isn't that good? Isn't the Lord good? Hallelujah. Um, just a few announcements. Uh, we will be partaking of the Lord's Supper, as you can see here, uh, in just a few minutes. Holy Communion. And we want to welcome all of you as believers. If you're guests here today, we want to welcome you to partake with us if you're believers in Christ Jesus. 
There's going to be a pop blessing meal after the service. Do you know what a pop blessing meal is? It's kind of like a potluck meal. It's a, and it's blessed, right? <laughs> I saw a cartoon this week where there was people lining up at the at a potluck buffet, and it says the inevitable the inevitable has happened. Everybody brought baked beans. <laughs> So, hopefully that didn't happen today. <laughs> okay, um, this is the Sunday for bringing in our baby bottles for the Northwoods Pregnancy Center. If you didn't remember yours today, if you could bring it next week, that would be great. Uh, these are funds for that center. And also today, will be, where's Tim? Coupe de Grasse, right? Coupe de Grasse. How many are part of the Coupe de Grasse? Okay, you see a few scattered through the audience, and you can ask Tim or these folks what that is. Just, <laughs> you'll have to ask Tim. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe next week we can announce the winner. Okay, we'll do that. I'll, I won't say more today. We got lots of other stuff to go on to. There is a serving opportunity for our computer networking ministry. Talk to me or John Cooley about that. It's an opportunity to minister in that area. And then, uh, Herb, could you come up? And also, we'll have Gus come up too. Herb is going to be leaving on a mission trip to Africa here soon. And um, we've been opening it up for giving uh, for this because Herb's covering his own personal experiences and, and such, and his, but um, he's going to be putting on two pastors' conferences, and I'll let you tell about that. But anyway, today is the last opportunity to give toward that. Uh, and you can just take an envelope, mark it for Herb's, for the mission trip to Africa, and put it in the box today so that we can get that then to Herb. But if you could just tell us. I um, fly out Friday. I'll be gone for a little over two weeks. And it's a Christian medical mission. And generally that's what they do, a Christian medical mission. But it, the leader knows that I've gone on other mission trips and likes to give back, so we organized a pastor's conference. In a couple of years we did it, and it went over so well that they did it again this year, and it actually got quite large. And um, just a little bit about the trip. We, there's going to be six providers, two nurses, two pharmacists, and some support people, about six or eight other people. And we hope to see over 2,000 people in about two weeks. And it's a lot like Revive Minnesota, but different in a way. You revived Minnesota, you went to the community, you were going to the slums, we're setting up shop, and in the morning there'll be hundreds of people waiting to come to, list, to you know, see us. And we work with interpreters and pastors at every step, and uh, we get people, tell them every person gets the gospel, gets prayed with, and then um, pastors follow up with them. So it's really neat. Anyway, so we're going to have a pastor's conference, and we committed. Um, again, this is outside of the normal process, but we commit every pastor who comes will get an ESV study Bible with concordance, and they just need some help with, you know, we have to have food and water for them, and that's uh, kind of a side separate, so that's what we're, we're doing. So we're going to pray for him, for Herb. Um, some of you may not know Herb is a pharmacist, and so that's what he's going to be helping with there. And... Um, I just thought I'd mention my wife is coming along, her first mission trip, uh, first time to Africa. She was a nurse, but she was going to come to help me, but then they only had one nurse, so they needed a nurse, so they found a different pharmacist, and she's going to help. So. Okay, that's great. And, uh, we're going to have uh, Gus lead us in prayer for, the, for Herb and his family there, and his wife, and, and the trip. So. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Lord, we just lift up Herb. 
And we lift up his wife, Jana, who is going with him. And we especially lift her up because her eyes will be opened. And hopefully her life will be changed. Father, we just thank you that her life will be changed in Africa. That she will never be the same. Father, we just cover them as they go with the precious blood of Jesus. We surround them with guardian angels. Father, we just thank you that their steps are ordered of the Lord. Lord, we send them in the name of Jesus to preach the good news of the gospel. And Lord, we just ask for that anointing that only you can give to break the power of darkness and every spirit of unbelief. Lord, we just lift up your word. And your word tells us to go and to preach the good news of the gospel. And we just thank you that there is a special anointing on Herb, not only to minister to the sick, but to minister to those pastors in Africa. Father, we just lift up your word that says your commandment to us to heal the sick, to raise the dead, and to preach the good news of the gospel. The word says that if you eat any poisonous, drink any poisonous thing, that it will not hurt you. Father, we just speak supernatural protection over everything he eats while he's in Africa. Protection from any disease that would come against his body. Lord, we just thank you that as he goes, we go with him in the spirit and that we hold him up in prayer every day that he's gone. Father, we lift him up in prayer. Not only today, but every day that he's there. We lift up his wife. We lift up every one of those people in his group. And we speak supernatural protection around them. And we ask for that anointing, Lord, that only you can give to reach through the darkness and to bring that bright light of Jesus that breaks down the walls of unbelief, that breaks down that spirit of Islam, of witchcraft that's over that country. We just thank you that when he speaks, that the light of Jesus will shine through. Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. I believe really good things are going to happen on that trip. Um, a few upcoming things. Next Sunday, Shirley Walker, who's been um, in school uh, with Andrew Womack School, Keras, that's the name, for the last two years will be here with us, and she's going to be sharing her, her story. And it's quite a story of how the Lord came into her life. Uh, and so that'll be next Sunday. Also, just a note, the Fellows Museum will be open next week, and we had that information in our announcements that we sent out. And then also something to be remembering, there's going to be the Believers Community. Is really, it's a follow-up of Revive Minnesota. We'll be meeting and beside a church on Sunday, August 5, which is next Sunday, at 6, six o'clock in the evening. And resources and such, tinstrikechurch.com is our website. And today we have a special testimony. Josh and Kendra, would you come this way? Um, we're so glad... Kendra, that you are here with us, as well as Josh today. Amen. <laughs> and we're going to let you share for us, okay? 
Hi, my name's Josh. Um, don't be alarmed, she's not gonna rob you. That the mess. <laughs> she's wearing that to protect herself um, from all the germs we all carry. Um, I'm gonna be talking about my story with pulmonary hypertension. Um, and how God helped me through it. This is very hard for her right now to do, um, just to stand up in front of people. Um, we have a slide. So, anyways, um, pulmonary hypertension is a disease that is common in women of young age and of activities. Um, pulmonary hypertension is the Arteries in your lungs, instead of becoming um, big and uh, rubbery, they become hard and start shrinking. And so then it becomes really hard for the blood to get to where it needs to get the oxygen. It needs to basically help you have a normal life. Um, it's very common to be treated as asthma because it has the same symptoms as it. Uh, they don't, they have to do a very um, procedure that goes in and actually checks it, what your lungs are doing and all that. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, simple terms is, if you ever have it, it's like breathing through a straw with your nose plugged. Not that easy, is it? I I've tried it. I it's not easy, um, so, um, but it was two years ago, three years ago now. I, I don't remember dates very well. Um, yeah. Go to the next slide, Eddie. Um, yeah. That kind of explains what I could do before I got diagnosed. I was just a normal child that could run around and do nothing, do anything I wanted without any problems. And then I started hat farms in seventh grade, which we thought it was asthma. It just kept getting worse. I ended up getting diagnosed March 26th in 2000. Right after William was born, and between being in the hospital for two weeks and to start with, I got put on IV meds and a bunch of other ones just to help keep me alive. The doctors were surprised that I was even here still. What she means by that is um, somebody who has this disease usually doesn't survive a first child even, let alone to have two healthy boys and still be around. That's what she means by that's why they're were, they were baffled. And, and, and we knew that God was having a, a great protection over us as a family through this whole entire time um, for the last... Oh, six months after we got out, I think, we started having complications again, and we found out that the medications that they were giving her were not working anymore. And so it was just, uh, how does people say, like a step, keep going down each, each time. It just kept getting worse and worse. And um, we ended up in the hospital again for and stayed there for about six months in the U of M down in the cities for six months uh, where they were trying to, they put her on the, the lung transplant and they even made a deal with Mayo, which is very hard to do kind of thing because Mayo and you each have their own like transplant. Like if the transplant list they share off of, and so they made an agreement with the um, Mayo 
that kind of like, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, kind of, and they put her on top of their list. So we were in that kind of dire need of a lung transplant at that time. And because of her body and everything that they have to factor in, they were getting offers, but what causes you to stop getting a, a transplant, basically, is your antibodies. And those are the things that help us fight any colds, diseases, anything like that. Well, if they're too high, the body will reject even lungs that they find. And we were going through, what about six, seven offers of, you know, that they, they, they found somebody and did the testing to see if it would be a match and they would fall through. And so after the, about the six months, prior into the six months we were in, our doctors came in and said, you know, you can go home whenever you want to. I mean, you can wait at home easily, but just kind of, as we left, kind of told us, you know, when we left after our six months, they said, um, have a normal life. Just enjoy the life you have right now. And in that process, too. Um, a lot of um, people were praying for us, and we saw a lot of things happen while we were there, too, at the hospital. I mean, God really, really showed his, his love and his mercy and just his, his undying love for us because we would we would get something something would happen and it would get so critical and we were just like you know okay we need to pray we need to have our prayer warriors and we appreciate everybody that's prayed for us even now still praying for us lord we just we just thank you and and each time that we would go down this deep path god would be like watch this and the next day it would be like nothing had happened. Like she'd become a normal person again and it just baffled doctors. <laughs> we just had to, we, our nurses and our doctors all baffled and we always said, you know, it's God's, God's way of doing this. You know, he, he's our great physician. And so we went home for, in the middle of two months, we were home for about two months. And things started to get downhill again, and she, she hates me for this part. She went kicking and screaming because I told her she was gonna go to the hospital. And so we went down to the hospital. They were basically gonna do what they call as a squeeze because she was putting on water weight, and, and it's hard on the heart when you become water weight. And I think it was July 26th? 27th, 28th, sorry. I have no more good dates. Um, no, yeah, 28th or 27th, whatever. Either. Um, we were down for the hospital and July 30th, we get a phone call at seven o'clock, almost close to seven o'clock in the morning on the hospital phone, which I'm not a morning person at that time. I don't like being up or getting woke up, actually, I should say. And I pick up the phone really kind of mean-wise, and the guy's like, I'm so-and-so from lung transplant. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to be yelling at you. <laughs> and so then he told us we have a match, and, and we're going to go get it, and we're going to have it done today, you know? And so, and the... The best thing, it was Sunday morning. It was a Sunday morning, I can remember that. And when he told us this, they, they also tell you, doctors always tell you, well, it can be this or this thing's gonna happen, whatever. I honestly had no worries at all. I, know, I felt the peace of God on me because I just, I didn't care. I knew that God had this planned out. Some reason, I don't know. He just had his way of telling me this was gonna be it. And I went to church and I told them and and uh, yeah, 
So we went through the process. It's about a... Okay. I don't know what she's doing. I don't know what's going behind me. I don't have a screen. Um, yeah, so we had a transplant. It takes about 12 hours to do a lung transplant like that. A lot of it's just prepping-wise, and then it's about eight hours, really, of doing the work. Um, got done. Usually a person can be out in a hospital within eight days of a transplant, which is really cool if there's no complications. Uh, but we had complications, so we stayed in the hospital for another month. And after we got out, you started to miraculously, I don't know, baffle doctors again. Because we had to do all the learning, how to do stuff, breathing, exercising, all that. And when we were about to come home, we actually got to come home earlier than what they had planned. Usually it would have been, we would have been home after Christmas, but we came home before, two weeks before Halloween, which is a miracle. And her physical therapist is like, you're the top highest they've ever had somebody leave in their uh, assessments. And so we just, from now on, been praying with God, you know, and just a testimony to what God can really do to us, you know, Whatever you're doing and whatever comes, complications, everything, prayer, God answers. We'd like to pray for you now. Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't ask this before, but I got you two, if you two would come up here. And, and why don't we all stand up? And uh, if anybody else wants to come around here and join around, that's great. But I don't know, Kentor Chantel, I just heard. Say something? Yeah. Yeah. I just want to share something quick that I thought was important in their story. One time we went to see them in the hospital, and it was at before the transplant, long before, and it was, they were in a hard place. It, you know, things were not looking good. And Kendra said, correct me if I get the words wrong, Kendra, but she said, in my heart, I can just see myself walking out of this place, getting up and walking out of this place. And uh, that, was, that was the life of God expressing itself in, through her words, and that's exactly what happened. Amen. Amen. Thanks for sharing that. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just thank you. Lord, as we walk through the trials of life and we go through those valleys, Lord, your promise was that you walk with us through the valley and that we will come out the other side. And I thank you that Josh and Kendra have come out. And Lord, we were grateful, Lord God, that you are using them to bring glory to your name as a giving testimony of healing and endurance, patience, perseverance, God, as they've took months and months and months, but Lord, your will was done. And Father, I know that with transplants, there's always a kind of a double-edged sword. Someone gives up a life that another one might live, but what a reminder to all of us, Jesus, that you gave up your life, that all of us might live. And may that reality just resonate through Kendra each and every day with a heart of gratitude and with every breath really that she takes as a miracle may she just praise you and thank you for life and thank you for your grace in Jesus name amen amen and everyone said amen thanks for sharing with us Glennis, why don't you start on your way up here? Let's see. We're going to have Glennis share a word with us from the word before we receive communion. Hallelujah. Got them on the wrong side here. <laughs> Hallelujah.
think you're going to need this, too. <laughs> Is it on? Yes. Okay. I'll try to stuff a lot into the next few minutes. How do you like my Bible? You have one like it? Good. Shows you've used it, you've loved it, you stood on it, and you believe what it says. I grew up in a Christian family, and my parents uh, insisted on having family worship every time, every morning possible. That was excluding school days when we were all getting ready to get to the bus, which I still have nightmares about. <laughs> and uh, excuse my Bible, it's falling apart, but for good reason. But with all of us children, and we had a big family, we didn't necessarily like these morning family worship times. My dad would read the Bible, and then we would all have to kneel on it uh, by our chairs and each say a prayer, starting from the oldest down to the youngest. And they were kind of stilted prayers. And um, sometimes we resented having to get up in the summertime and be there. Uh, we were not real loose with each other in with our feelings and so on, so we didn't we didn't take advantage of getting to know God personally that much, although we were all encouraged to invite him into our hearts, and most of us did as children. And so uh, there was that aspect. But later on, a few years ago, the Lord told me, you know, those, those morning sessions with your parents, they built a fortress around you because they read the word, they read the word, they read the word, and um, that was constructing that fortress around you. And this has helped you, even the times when you don't realize it through your life. So I appreciated my parents' boldness in doing that and, and their consistency in a new way. But, this morning's little homily here is about standing on the promises. And though we did that in uh, one way, in, in a way, we, we trusted the Lord's word and we stood on the word. But it wasn't like uh, alive like it is today. And after the, that's what happens after you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. You have a, you have a hunger for the word. And you take those words personally, and you act on them, and you believe them, and you stand on them. And so if any of you have a fear of the Holy Spirit, I just want to say that one word about that. Don't fear it. Because he brings you, he doesn't come with a box and tell you to get in it. He brings you into who he created you to be in the first place. And he makes you alive and he makes his word come alive in you. So I just thought I'd share a few things about the promises that are alive for me this summer and that I've been depending on. One is a very familiar one. It's Romans 8:28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God. And I read it in the message this summer. We can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. And I just hung on to that. You know, the times when you get into tangles and you don't know really how it's going to turn out, and you can say, Lord, every detail you're working for my good. Sometimes just looking at another version gives you another perspective and it really helps you to hang on to that promise and to be trusting the Lord that he's going to uh, 
and this uh, summer has been kind of chaotic with different things happening, the storms and cleaning up after the storms. But he, in, in the New King James Version, he says, all things, and in the message he says, every detail. And I don't know how many times this summer I've repeated that back to the Lord. Lord, every detail you're conscious of. Another one is kind of, kind of a promise, but it's a promise to, from me to God, too. When I am afraid, I will trust in him. And I've been afraid sometimes this summer of this or that or the other. And, and we trust in him. And there's many other promises that go that, with that. Uh, one is in Psalms 57.1. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. That's your emotions, your soul. That's your thoughts. That's your ups and downs. You're still trusting in the Lord. For my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings, I will make you my refuge. That's going back and tucking under him and trusting him that he's covering us. And when you think of cover, you can think of a tarp over your woodpile, protecting it from the elements. You can think of a cover on a casserole, not letting the flies get at your picnic lunch. You can think of all kinds of different, a blanket to keep you from getting cold. All kinds of covering that he gives us. And then we've prayed and we've talked about this morning, the covering of his blood. It's really important to stay under that cover, isn't it? There's another promise that I've been uh, searching. Uh, one of the promises is in Psalms 27:14, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. How many times do we pray for something, and then we have to wait? But the study that we're doing in our little Wednesday Bible study is by Andrew Womack, and he says over and over and over again that the Lord has already provided the answer. He's already given us all these promises, and our waiting is not a passive waiting. Well, I wonder when the Lord's going to answer my prayer. And just waiting passively and doing nothing. It's praising the Lord. It's saying his promises over and over again. And it's trusting in his promises. So in a way, we're fighting that battle. Last Sunday, we sang a song. See if I can find it here. This is how I fight my battles, here in your love, surrounded. We're not surrounded just by our circumstances and our troubles, but we're surrounded with his love and his promises. Isn't that a good way to be surrounded? And, and so we can have our security, no matter what happens, no matter if 15 trees fall down, and we have to clean them up, you know, and the whole uh, atmosphere of our land that our house is on has changed, we can still trust the Lord, and we can thank him that none of those trees hit our house. So we ask, because the Lord tells us to ask, we ask in faith, and we wait, but we don't wait passively but we fight a quiet battle of prayer and trust. And um, we think about Daniel. He waited 21 days for an answer to his prayer, a specific answer to his prayer. But he too fasted and prayed and trusted until the breakthrough came with God's angels bringing his breakthrough. 
But the promise is with that, that he hears our prayer the first time it was uttered. Even if we have to wait 21 days, it's not that he hasn't heard our prayer yet. And that's what the angel told Daniel. God heard your prayer the first time you said it. But there's been opposition, and sometimes we have to fight that through prayer and through fasting and whatever other way, through believing and, and, and resting in the Lord, too, and not becoming all upset. Womack puts it this way, the Lord has already prepared these answers for us, but it takes time sometimes for it to be released from the spiritual realm, which he's provided it in, to get to the physical realm. And our prayers and praise help that at times to shorten that lapse and, and uh, let the answer be released to us. So don't give up. Many mothers and grandmothers have waited years and years and years for their prayers for their sons and daughters to be answered. And like my parents went to heaven still believing that their two sons who hadn't given their life to the Lord would. And we'll wait till we get to heaven. When my, one of my brothers who said that he hadn't accepted the Lord, he died when he was alone. I know that he knows the way, that he knew the way. And I saw kind of a vision of him with his blue shirt on and his khaki pants. And he said, I met him in heaven. And he said, you didn't think I'd make it, did you? <laughs> now, I have to wait to heaven to see if that's really true or not. But I sure hope it is. One of the other promises that I uh, enjoy, and I grab onto it, and I rest in it, is all your children will be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. One time with my, one of my sons, I was giving him some advice. He was maybe in 20 or somewhere in that age, and, and I felt that he needed to make some decisions for his future that would propel him ahead in a place where it seemed like he was just static. And uh, so I talked to him about it, and he listened to me. And then pretty soon, when I was done telling him what I thought, he says, well, I'll pray about it and see what the Lord says. And I wanted to scream and holler at him. I'm your mother. I've been through stuff. You know, listen to me. But I couldn't do that because the Lord says he will teach our children. And we have to let them go and let the Lord talk to them and they have their relationship with the Lord. And it's better for him to follow the Lord's directions than his mother's, right? Anyway, I still have to learn that. I still have to work on that once in a while. Uh, promises are not limited to ones listed in the Bible. The Holy Spirit, who fills us, uh, speaks to us personally. One time when I was teaching school in Panema, and it was a hard time, many times it was a hard place to work, and uh, the Lord says, if you'll watch, I'll show you something every day that will give you joy. And one day, as I was driving up there, it was just a little whirlwind coming off the lake. Not dangerous, but it was taking the fall leaves and just making them dance in a circle on my way to school. And it just put joy in my heart. Another day, it was when my class was all lined up waiting to take a, their drink break and their bathroom break. And this little boy started doing an Indian dance on the way. And it was so fun to watch him because he wasn't, he wasn't looking for anyone to see him. He just felt like doing it. And, and I still, 
you know, if you watch, the Lord will give you something to lighten your day every day. Another good promise, I will instruct and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my life and teach in, in the word wealth says, I will direct the flow. How many times do we have to depend on that promise? Okay, and there's just a couple more things I'll hurry through here. And along with the promises of God, he also disciplines you, doesn't he? He's our father. He wants us to go the right ways. And one time in, in school again, uh, it was a cold winter day, and usually it was the day for our checks to come up from Red Lake. And usually someone would bring those checks and we'd get them during the day sometime and be able to uh, go home at the regular time. But that day, they weren't going to come up there. They said, we'll send it up on the high school bus, which meant that we had to wait an extra 45 minutes or whatever to get our checks that day. And so we grumbled about it. And the next week, the superintendent came, and as he often did to me, and he said, come on, let's go walk and talk in the hallway. Okay, I left my kids with the aid. And he said, I hear there was a lot of grumbling last week when you got your checks late. I said, yes, that means that we couldn't get home before dark. And it, you know, it was a cold winter day and so on. Well, but then I said, but you're an, you've been an administrator for a long time. You deal with that, don't you? That when you give things that you think are the wise thing to do, people grumble. That normal, isn't it? I mean, why would you be upset about it? That you give, you make that decision, it doesn't settle well with us, and we grumble about it. Okay, yeah, that was, that was true, he said. He was satisfied. But then when I got to reading at home, I don't know if it was that night or a few days later, I came across the verse in 1 Peter 5, uh, no, Philippians 2.14, and it says, do all things without grumbling. What? All things? Even your check on a, on a cold winter day that you had to, was delayed, you know, it wasn't a normal thing, it was, it was sin. And I've been trying ever since then not to grumble. And so you can point to me when I start grumbling and say, hey, you better work on that a little bit more. The other day, I read a new verse. I don't know when I got put in the Bible. <laughs> but it's in Psalm 37, which we've read many times. And it says, do not fret. Fret? Yeah, I was fretting that day over some things. But he wants peace. He wants peace in our heart. And it comes down to not grumbling and not fretting and other important things. And then one of the last promises that I've been uh, resting in this summer is 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And that last four stuck out to me the last time I read it. Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. He's doing it for you. He's caring for you instead of you. And he's, he's able to do that because he has all the resources. So we don't have to have all those cares because he's caring instead of us. And the word wealth on that says to care. Some of these cares means to be anxious beforehand about daily life. How many times are we anxious beforehand about daily life? We don't have to be because we have his promises 
This is my last story. One time, one of my close relatives died, and I felt very bad because I hadn't asked this person about her spiritual condition. And I said, Lord, where is she? You know, where did she, where is she spending eternity? And the only thing he would say to me is, my judgments are fair. And I looked that up to see if it was in the scripture, and it is. My judgments are fair. And later on, I asked, what happened during that week? You know, I was so sad that I hadn't dared to confront this person and, and talk with her about some things about the Lord and about eternity. And he said, you dropped your shield of faith. Now, if you look in, uh, where is it? That God talks about the armor of God. And he says, put on the whole armor of God. And we know that one of those pieces is the shield of faith. And if you drop it, you're vulnerable to depression, to questioning, to mistrust, and so on. And, and then it says, put on the whole armor of God, having and having done all, stand, be solid, know where you're at. So I've, I've got a new Bible, and I have to start a new Bible. Have you had to do that too? All the things that you've underlined, all the things that you've circled, and I get to start a new Bible and circle them and underline them and grab them and live by them all over again. In Jesus' name, thank you. Thank you, Glennis. That's a lot of good, good revelation coming forth there. Appreciate it. Glennis and her husband Russell did have a a big windstorm go through, right? Or maybe even a little tornado earlier this year, as some of the rest of you did too. And let's have those that are going to help to distribute our communion elements come up to the front now and be, just before we go to have our pod blessing meal together we are going to have this meal which we call the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion and this is this is what makes what this shows us and what we're proclaiming as we partake of this meal and you can begin to pass those out now what we, we see is that in the cross is what makes it, it makes it possible for us to stand on the promises. If it wasn't for this, this meal, what it represents, and what uh, it wouldn't be possible for us. You may pass those to the congregation. So we're so thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ, and every promise that Glenn has mentioned there, and maybe there was one or two that really stuck out to you this morning. As we're partaking of communion today, just anew and afresh receive that for yourself. Maybe it's putting your trust in him. Maybe it's casting your cares on the Lord. Maybe it's for your children or grandchildren. Or maybe you're afraid Just receive as we partake today. Now we're going to read from 1 Corinthians 11, and this is from the Message Bible today. It says, let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. I received my instructions from the Master himself and passed them on to you. The Master, Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, took bread, 
Having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, broken for you. I'm sure you caught that in the worship time, the songs that allude to this very thing. My body, broken for you. Do this to remember me. And after supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. And so today, as we're going to partake of the broken body, the blood, let's remember him, remember what he has done for us. And really, as we do it, we're proclaiming it, that this is a done deal. It's already done, as Glennis mentioned also. And all the needs that we might have in life have already been provided for through the cross, through Jesus' broken body, through his shed blood. Remember me. What you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the Master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the Master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. No matter how many times we do this, it's so special and it can be like the first time that we've done it, as the Holy Spirit quickens that to our heart. So, together let's take the bread represented by this wafer. This represents Jesus' body, broken for us, that we might be whole, that even our bodies, yes, our bodies too, as we partake of it today, each one of us in our bodies, if there are things there that aren't right, we just receive your wholeness, your healing, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we receive that as we partake today. Let's partake of it together. Thank you, Lord. We receive of you and your life and your healing power today. As Josh said this morning, you are our great physician. You are. And then the cup represents the blood and the new covenant. Total remission of sins. Total remission of sins. And forgiveness, even of those that have happened this very day. And Lord, we are so thankful for your shed blood for us that brings us eternal life, that keeps us in close fellowship with you as we walk with you. Let's partake together of this. God, we're so thankful. We love you. We worship you. We praise you today. Our hearts are overflowing. Our cups run over. We're so thankful. We love you. Because you first loved us. Your great love for us. Again, as Josh and Kinder were saying, Lord, it's the realizing of your love for us, your great love for us and your mercy. And we receive it anew and afresh today. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 
Lord, we just pray for your covering and protection over each one of us. We receive that covering. We acknowledge it over each of us in this day and this week that is before us. And Lord, may we go out into the mission field. We know Herb is going to Africa, but Lord, we know each one of us has that mission field before us every day. And so we go out in in the fullness of your spirit and your power. In Jesus' name, and everyone in agreement said, Amen. So, we will go for the pop blessing, but also if there are any what would like specific prayers, there will be ministers up here to pray with you, altar ministers. God bless you all and keep you all. <laughs>